We want to ask what are called commitment questions that allow them to commit internally on taking the next steps to purchase what you're offering to solve their problems and get what they want. You're asking commitment questions that get them to take smaller commitments to take the next step in your cycle. Maybe the next step is to have a demo. Maybe the next step is to schedule another call with the board. Maybe the next step is to go over more details on the product, but you're getting them to take smaller commitments that lead them to the ultimate commitment of purchase what you're offering. Welcome to the Simple Brand Podcast, the show dedicated to helping you create simple experiences for your customers and for your team members. Each week, we're bringing you amazing interviews with business leaders and authors who will teach you how to differentiate your business with the one thing your customers need the most, simplicity. Your customers live in a complex world. Let's make it simple. Now here's your host, Matt Lyles. When I was in college some uh, 20-ish years ago, wait, has it really been that long? Oh my gosh. Okay, fine. When I was in college 20 plus years ago, a handful of us loved watching the movie Glen Gary Glen Ross. And we absolutely loved Alec Baldwin's scene where he's teaching his lesson to the salesman on closing deals. I mean... At one time, some of us could even quote his monologue verbatim. A, B, C. A always, B, B, C, closing. Always be closing. And only one thing counts in this life, and that is get them to sign on the line which is dotted. I think we loved it because it sounded so powerful. It sounded so easy. It sounded like it actually worked. Even if it did work at one time, that method is completely outdated. Today's consumers, today's customer, today's buyers are different. With the tools and with the information they have, they're more savvy than ever. They have the ability to take their money and give it to someone else quicker than ever. The way they research, the information they have available to them, the way they interact with and choose to interact with sales reps has completely changed changed. But too many brands aren't recognizing this change. Too many brands aren't recognizing the need to change their approach to selling. And they're starting to fail and become completely irrelevant to their customers. And they can't figure out why. They can't figure out how to adapt. Thankfully, this week's guest has the lessons and the strategies to help brands adapt to these changes. It's Jeremy Miner. Jeremy is the founder and chairman of 7th Level. It's a global sales training company. He's been featured in Wall Street Journal, Forbes, Inc., Entrepreneur, and lots of other publications. Jeremy and I talk about his lessons on being able to influence and sell to anyone today. Spoiler alert, it's all about being a problem finder and a problem solver, not a product pusher. And now you may be thinking, oh, this episode's about sales? Well, maybe I can skip out on this one. Oh, don't make that mistake. Because what's great here is that you can apply these lessons in most any aspect of your career or business. Whether it's client relationships, whether it's your leadership, whether it's other teams you collaborate with, whether it's your customers. If you're wanting to influence someone else to take action, this discussion is for you. 
So welcome to the show, Jeremy Miner. Hey, thanks for having me on. I'm going to take everything you just said as like a really big compliment because my kids always tell me I'm extremely boring. So thank you very much for those accolades. Very, very kind of you, sir. Oh, you are welcome. And it's all true, though. It's all true. No matter what your kids say, I don't think you're boring. I think my kids think I'm boring, too. I know. I appreciate the opportunity to be on your show and see if we can help your listeners really get to the next level. Love love being on the show. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. And your focus is all about the sales. And I got to say, it feels like today, based on a lot of people that I talk to, I think too many leaders are placing the majority of their faith in how great their product is, how great their marketing is. Essentially, having that thinking that the product and marketing can sell itself. What do you say to that? Well, I think it's one of the biggest mistakes that entrepreneurs, business owners, I mean, mid-level management, I mean, really companies make, right? It's like this myth that... They just believe that if they have this great product and service, that somehow everybody's just going to line up and want to buy it. You know, we actually have a term for that here. We call that product pushing, okay? Now, what does that mean? Here's one thing we all have to understand. Your prospects that you are speaking to are even more cautious and skeptical about making the wrong buying decisions than they have ever been before. Now, why is that? There's a reason, right? One of our one of our clients that we train as salespeople is named Brandon Kane. He's the author. Yeah, of, uh, yeah you know Brandon. Yeah, so he's yeah. the author of Hook Point. Like how Hook to, Point, yeah. uh, one, one million, million followers. followers. Yep, there you go. Yeah, we actually do all of the sales for him as well with all of his courses. Big social media giant, right? You know his story. So in his book, he talks about there are over three billion content creators every day trying to take your prospects' attention away from you, right? You are even competing with 13-year-old kids on TikTok now, right? That are taking your prospects' attention away from what you're trying to do. Guess how many content creators there were 20 years ago? Less than 1 million. Now they're over 3 billion and rapidly growing, right? So in the information age we live in now, the power of the internet, especially social media, your prospects are being sold to 24 hours a day, seven days a week, month after month, year after year. When I'm at an event speaking and I say that, people are like, oh no, I'm not being sold to. Like, yeah, I mean, I, I talked to some salespeople here and there, but I'm not being sold to 24 hours a day. And I'm like, really? I want you to think about it. When you wake up in the morning, what's the first thing you do? You get on your phone, right? You look at your social media, like your Facebook, your Instagram, and what do you see? Ads trying to sell you something, right? You walk into your kitchen and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so tired. I got to get to the office. You're making your coffee. You turn on the TV. What do you see on the TV? Ads, commercials, trying to sell you something, right? You get in the car, you're rushed. Like, I got to get to the office. You start driving. You turn on the radio. What do you hear? Radio ads trying to sell you something, right? You start driving down the road. It's like, oh, it looks really good here off of the side of the road. Then you start seeing what? (laughs) Billboards. Trying to sell you something, right? You take your lunch break, you get right back on your phone, your social media, and what do you see? Your aunt pitching her latest, greatest MLM that she's trying to sell you. So you're being constantly spoke to 24 hours a day. And because of that, human beings have become desensitized 
right? And we put up a wall anytime we feel that someone is trying to sell us something, all right? So we have to become what we really call, you know, as an organization, as sales professionals, as marketers, whoever you are, we have to become what we call problem finders and problem solvers, not product pushers. Now, when I say problem finders, problem solvers, people are like, what do you mean by problem finders? Like, I'm a really good problem solver. Like, if you saw my background here, I know you probably saw it in the, when we first started talking. I've got you know, probably at least a thousand books behind me. Most of them are on sales and persuasion. And they all say that you have to be a problem solver. Okay. And that's true. Yeah. But here's the problem if your prospects don't buy from you, well, you can't really be a problem solver, right? In our day and age, you have to be better at problem finding. That's from marketing to sales. It's all the same. Meaning you're asking the right questions at the right time, whether it's in marketing or sales, that helps your prospects find problems in their mind that they didn't even know they had. I think, you know, Steve Jobs said it the best before he passed away. And I could be butchering what he said, but he's like, you know, most people don't know what they need. Right. And and that's why, you know, so many programs, sales training programs out there say like, oh, you got to sell to their needs. But you can't sell to their needs because most people don't know what they need before you first start talking to them or before you start marketing to them, right? And I'll give you an example of this. It's like if you go, let's say you wake up today, Matt, and you're just like, oh my gosh, like I've got this massive migraine headache. And you're like, oh, I need to go to urgent care. I've got to get some medication because that's what you feel you need. That's your needs. That's what you feel like you need. You're like, oh, it's going to cost me a hundred bucks for the copay. No problem. You go down to urgent care. The doctor starts asking you different questions. And he starts asking you about the symptoms and how long it's been going on and how it's affecting you. And you realize from his or her questions now that you might have a bigger problem than what you originally thought you had. Then they suggest that you go to another doctor who gives you a CAT scan. And oh, by the way, that CAT scan reveals that you have a terminal tumor in your brain that is causing that migraine headache. And now they say, look, that surgery is going to cost $2 million. Your insurance is only going to cover 80%. You've got to come up with the other 400 grand or whatever it is. Well, the hell with the budget, right? You thought that you needed a medication for $100. Now you're going to go out and like get that 400 grand to save your life. That's why you can never sell to the needs of the prospect because most don't know what they need when you first start communicating with them. You have to sell to the real problems and help them find what those real problems are. Are you with me on that? That makes so much sense. And even thinking all the way back over 100 years ago, you think of Henry Ford creating the car. If I were to ask people what they need, they would say that they need a faster horse. A faster buggy. That's it. Yeah, faster buggy. Yeah. Yeah. So I totally get that. And and I guess that opens up a blind spot that I haven't seen before because I always thought of myself, yeah, hey, I'm a great problem solver. You know, even throughout my career before where I am today, being a good problem solver, but not focusing on the fact that you've got to be able to find that problem and point it out to your own. 100%. And you have to do it in a way, because if you just tell them what their problems are, well, that's going to go in one ear out the other, right? Because you're biased. You're trying to sell them something, right? So it's forming those statements into questions that allow them to tell themselves what the real problems are. Because like we were talking about, when you first start getting somebody in a marketing conversation or in a sales conversation, whether you're a marketer or a salesperson, most people don't realize, like you said, what their real problems are when you first start talking to them. Or maybe they realize they have a problem, Matt, but they don't really understand how bad that problem is. Or maybe they don't understand the consequences 
yet of what will happen if they don't do anything about solving the problem. Now, when you learn advanced questioning skills, this is going to even be in marketing, but especially sales, that allows the prospect to start realizing that not only do they have one problem, but you're able to help them find that they have two problems and three and maybe four and five other problems that they didn't even realize they had. And when you help them start realizing that, they look at you, they look at your company as like the trusted expert, the trusted authority, because no one has ever been able to get them to think outside of the box that way, right? So they look at you as the person or the company that's going to get them the results they want, and they will gladly pay way more than any of your competition because they don't view them that way. They view everybody else as just trying to sell them something, right? They view you as the authority who's going to get them where they want to go. That's the massive difference. Now, the problem is, is that most people are trained to be what? We, like I said earlier, product pushers, right? We're taught how to yeah. ask, especially in a sales situation, a few consultative questions about the needs of the client, like what's two problems that keeps you awake at night? Or what type of solution are you looking for? Or what's your budget for solving the problem? These are just surface level questions that just get the surface level answers from the prospects of what's really going on. And then they go into their sales pitch. And even in marketing, they go into their sales pitch too soon, talking about the features and benefits of the product and service. And how they have the best this and best that, which by the way, doesn't every <laughs> single company and salesperson say they have the best product, right? Everyone's the best. Everybody's the best. How many salespeople or businesses tell you they have the fifth best product in the market? No one does, right? They all claim to be the best. It's like, you know, TMI here, but my wife always has me watch The Bachelor with her. It's like, oh, you got to watch The Bachelor with me every year. If you've ever seen that show, like what's the first thing the host said? Chris Mortensen, and then I think Jesse Palmer's the new host, but- This one has drama. Like this yeah. one has more drama than ever. Listen to exactly what they say every start of episode. The most dramatic ever. They say every time, they're the most dramatic Bachelor season ever. And like after 20 some years, like, do you really believe that? You're just yeah. like- uh, yeah, I think you guys said that the last 20 years straight. <laughs> so when we say things like that, especially when we talk down about our competitors or we say we have the best this, we have the best that, just so you know, psychologically, your prospects, subconsciously, we can't even help it as human beings. We actually trust those companies less because we're used to every company and salesperson saying the exact same thing. Now, we obviously don't need to tell them we suck, obviously, but there's ways to relanguage that where we don't sound like everybody else, where we're just like product pushers because it's like taking a bucket of mud and like throwing it up against the wall, hoping and praying that something we're gonna say is just gonna magically trigger the prospect to wanna buy from us. And I call that hopium. It's like a drug that so many companies <laughs> and marketers and salespeople say where they just hope and pray something they're gonna say is gonna trigger everybody to wanna buy. And it's such a hard and unpredictable way to really scale your business because you know you might even be doing well, but how do you get to the next level by doing the same thing? You with me? Absolutely. And that kind of tracks with one of the lessons that I teach. I've also heard this from, I originally got it from Sally Hogshead. Mike Michalowicz talks about it as well. It's not that better isn't better and then best really isn't best. Better isn't better. Different is better. And it sounds like if you keep taking the same exact approach that everybody else is taking, but you talk about how you're better, yeah. no one's going to trust you. But if you take a different approach, yeah. showing people how you're different to work with, 
yeah. than the others. That's what's going to really be better and is really going to gain that trust that you need. Yeah. Well, it's so true. Like I, I see it, you know, we're, you know, in our sales training organization, we're even having politicians that are now coming as like major congressional politicians. And they're like, oh, nice. how do I craft my messaging better? Because I think they're starting to realize that if you say the same things over and over, you're just attracting a certain audience. You're not persuading the other side to come to your way of thinking. It's just like cut in the middle, 50-50. And I even, you know, I follow politicians, not because I'm interested in politics, because I'm just like straight down the middle. I'm just an independent. I think everybody's crazy. I try to stay in my lane. I just focus on sales training as a company. I follow politicians and I follow them on social media because I love analyzing communication styles. I'm like, oh my gosh, they're triggering so much resistance by people. If they just relanguage what they said, people would actually come to their fence instead of like throwing out, you know, in the, the White House thing, I follow them on like social media, right? And they posted yeah. being like, oh, we've created, and this is not political law, guys. I, I do not care about politics. It's just from a, a persuasion side, right? So they posted some the other day, like, hey, we've grown the fastest amount of jobs ever in the history of the United States. And I'm sitting there, I'm looking like, I think everybody knows that none of these jobs are really new jobs before the pandemic. I think they're just all people going back to work because their businesses were shut down. And you can see it, like there's thousands of right. people like, total BS, these are not new jobs. Like it's not some new industry the government's created. It's not... Nothing has been created that's new. These are just people going back to work where their industries were shut down, like the hotel industry, the travel industry. Because of that, it triggers so much sales resistance, right? Because everybody knows that's not really true. Even on the side of the people who believe in the White House knows that's not true. But if they just relanguage that, like, hey, this has been so great. You know, I'm just giving kind of a rough draft here. But hey, we're working our butts off. We're getting people back into their jobs. You know, in fact, we've got 660,000 people back into their jobs. Now, these aren't necessarily new jobs, but these are people getting back to work, getting their livelihoods. The pandemic's over. We're working on creating new opportunities. They just said something like that. People on the other side wouldn't argue with them because it's true. They'd be like, yeah, that's right. People are getting back. It's just how you relanguage it. And I'm so shocked that government officials cannot figure this out because I'm just like, you are just triggering more resistance from people. Like people know that's not true. So if you're just more truthful with them about what's going on, people will come to your defense. And that's what people really have to start learning. Well, and if you look at it from that approach, whether it's political messaging or the old standard tried and true sales methodologies, I think it's more of that status quo approach. Hey, yeah. this is what I believe has worked in the past. This yeah. is the type of messaging that people have always used. Therefore, I'm going to use the same message, the same approach. Right. I know it's so, you know, like I said, because of the power of the internet and especially social media, you can't do things like that. People know if it's true or not. You cannot even, that's why I don't understand like people that are, that believe in like censoring people. I'm like, you're just creating more of a situation by threatening to censor people. People are just going to shut up. They're just going to go times a thousand now. Like, I don't understand what people are doing by threatening to censor people that they might not agree with in whatever subject. You are just creating more of what you don't like by threatening that. It makes zero sense. Yeah politics or society or even in business, yeah. so many people forget to read history books. Yeah. It's just, you have to, like selling is not adversarial. 
it's not you against the prospect or whoever you're trying to persuade, like trying to manipulate them and pressure them. That's what average companies do. That's what average salespeople do. If you want to be a top marketer, if you want to be a top sales professional, if you want to be a company that just blows out your competition, you have to be collaborative. Yeah. You, working with the prospects to help them find and solve problems that they don't know they had. And when you learn how to do that and you learn the right questioning skills and how to work with human behavior and have the right tonality and verbal pausing and all of this, you will find that people will just come out of everywhere and just support you, do anything for you, follow you, buy everything that you have because you build massive trust with your audience and even audiences outside of your audiences. You become more of an authority figure when you do that by all sides. Yeah, absolutely right. And then going back to what you're saying earlier about how you were describing the approach of being a problem finder. To me, you know, that it's not talking at somebody, it's not being adversarial. The word you use, which I love to use, is collaborative. And it's collaboratively guiding them on a journey. At least that's the way that I see it. 100%. Yeah, you're guiding them down a journey. I mean, people want to get where they want to go, right? I mean, they people have problems. It's not like every product and service that's ever been made in the history of time has been made to solve a problem. Now, sometimes it's made to solve a problem. Sometimes it's made to solve an emotional need. I'll give you an example, like the car industry, right? You know, we train a, uh, an exotic a car dealership that sells like Bentley, Ferrari, just cars that are like half a million dollars or more, right? The, the yeah. cheap cars are the $350,000 Aston Martins. And I remember <laughs> I remember walking yeah, in. Yeah, that, that's cheap, man. I know, right? I remember walking in and this was, you know, when we first started the company about three years ago, they were one of our first B2B clients. And I remember walking in and they're like, Jeremy, like, I don't think we can learn anything. Like, you know, rich people, if they like the car, they buy it. It's not solving any problems. How can we help these people find problems. Like they don't have any problems. They're rich. There's no problems. They just, if they like the car, they just buy it. And I'm like, really? Mm -hmm. I want you to think a little bit deeper. Okay. Think a little bit deeper. And I said, look, do you see my car out there? And I had, had at that time a, a Maserati. It's the most expensive car I'd ever bought. It was like a $190,000 car, which was crazy. Right? I think it's just stupid to buy expensive <laughs> cars. But anyways, in my mind, I needed this Maserati, right? I, I like the show Limitless. I'm like, I love when he drives the car. You know, I got to get one of those, right? There you go. So I said, look at the car out there that I have. I was like, do you know why I bought that car? And he's like, no, why'd you buy that car? You, did, you, did you just want it? And I was like, no, I bought that car to fulfill an emotional need. Because when I was a child, my dad, my stepdad lost his job because he became disabled. And we went from a middle-class family down to like poverty. We had to get on food stamps. I was around 12 years old. I remember going to baseball practice that summer in the Walmart cleats rather than the Nike cleats. And I remember like everybody looked at me like this poor kid, like, you know, what's going on? I felt so embarrassed that from that day forward, I was like, I am never going to be in this situation ever again. And that drove me to be like, I have to prove to my classmates. I have to prove to my family. I have to prove to my neighbors. I have to prove to the world that I'm successful. And when I went and bought that car is because it gave me a status, at least in my mind, that my neighbors, former classmates, Everybody knew that I had arrived and it solved an emotional need. And he looked at me and he was like, oh my gosh, that is so true. I never even thought about that. Yes, those wow. cars are solving an emotional need because those people want people to view them as status. If it was just solving a problem, you know, to get from point A to point B, they just go buy a used Honda. This is not the problem they're looking. They have an emotional need they want solved. So every problem, 
every product or service that's ever been invented does one of two things. It either solves some types of problem or it could do both. It solves an emotional need. Yeah. And to me, that goes back to, you know, looking at it from the fact that the problem is not just one layer. Most of the time, any problem that somebody has, there's multiple layers to it, whether it's that external challenge or the internal struggle as well. Yes. Did you know that in addition to my podcast and my articles, I speak to audiences all over to help them simplify their customer experience and simplify their employee experience. I've spent the last few years leading a crusade of simplicity across the globe. If you want a winning brand, you have to provide a simple experience to your customers and to your team members. Whether it's a live event or a virtual event, I'd love to partner with you and teach your audience how to do just that. With over a decade in marketing, I know how to hook and captivate an audience. And as a speaker, I know how to connect with that audience. Along with my lessons, I use stories and humor to keep everyone engaged and inspired. Then they leave with the knowledge and next steps to transform their business. As an event planner, you're managing lots of details to give your audience the most memorable event. The last thing you need is a speaker who will make your event memorable for all the wrong reasons. Not only will I leave your audience energized and inspired, I'll make it easy for your team to work with me. Hey, if I've built my brand around simplicity, then you know I'm going to make it simple for you. When you visit mattliles.com speaking, you'll find everything you need to know, including details on my topics, promotional materials, and most importantly, a link to connect with my team so we can book your event. So visit mattliles.com speaking. I can't wait to help your audience brand out from the crowd. You've got a methodology that helps take people on that collaborative journey. Your NEPQ, that's Neural Emotional Persuasion Questioning. Oh my goodness. Like I look at most salespeople and most people from the sales background that I talk to like wouldn't think to have that much science in their methodology. If you want to perform well, if you want to sell a lot more of your products and services, you have to learn how to work with human behavior where your prospects actually want to open up to you and you have to learn how to disarm them where they want to engage with you. They want to open up to you because they feel like you have something important to them. If you just follow traditional selling skills, you're just going to get a lot of objections. You're going to get a lot of resistance. You're going to hit your head against the brick wall every day, hoping and praying that somebody's going to buy from you. You have no control in your sales process. But I'll, I'll kind of take you back because in college, the reason why I came up with NEPQ is my major was behavioral science and human psychology, right? So I'm like, I'm wow. a nerd, right? So it's a study of the brain. How do human beings make decisions? How and why are people persuaded or not persuaded to do something? You might want to learn this if you're trying to sell something, right? Instead of hoping it works out, you actually control and know the outcomes you're going to get, Right. So check this out. According to behavioral science, there are actually three forms of communication. And I would suggest, you know, everybody listening right now, unless you're driving, 
write this down because once you understand the differences in persuasion and where you and your company are at now, like in your sales ability for your salespeople compared to where you could be, it'll completely change everything for you. So the first mode of communication, it's called era one. So ERA, era one type of sales. Think more boiler room selling. What Mm -hmm. image comes to your mind when you think that, right? So we're the least persuasive when we tell people things or we attempt to dominate them, posture them, manipulate them or push them into doing something that we want them to do. Like I said, think like Wolf on Wall Street. Everybody's right. seen that show. And I'm sure Jordan's a great guy. They just That's how they depict him. Yeah. But it's like, yeah, they get on the phone like, hey, I've got a great opportunity for you. And then we talk about the features and the benefits of what we do. And then we push and we tell them why they need to buy or why they need to go with you. And it's just like, if you tell your spouse that they really, really need to do something for you and then you keep pushing them to do it, well, what do they typically do back? They push back. Push back. It's just human behavior 101. So I'll give you a few examples of the least persuasive way to sell. Presenting. When I say that, people are like, no, Jeremy, I've got to have my 60 slides. I'm, you know, an hour and a half presentation. I got to wow them with our corporate office. And we've got the best customer service. And we're triple A rated with the better business bureau. And we got the best products or services, which like we talked about, doesn't every single sales. Everybody's the best. They have the best, right? Yeah, exactly. I got to show them the history of my company. I, I know, which nobody cares. Nobody cares so, about that. Exactly. So all you're doing is triggering more resistance. And people actually trust you less when you say things like that, or you talk down about your competitors because you're used to every salesperson doing the same thing. Right. So according to the data, it's not very persuasive if your presentation is more than 10% of your entire sales process. The average salesperson, average company is almost 50%. So we have to really lower that down. Telling your story. Hate to tell you this. Like you said, nobody cares about your story when you're selling one-to-one. Whose story do they care about? Ourselves, yeah. Right? Give it a sales pitch. We've all been telling you, you got to give a great pitch. According to science, very low on the persuasion pole. Do you ever watch like the Shark Tank on CNBC? CNBC? Yeah, yeah. Every, every once in a while, yeah. Yeah, so you notice how the entrepreneurs come in on the show and you've got the sharks there. You've got like Damon John, you've got Cuban, you've got Barbara, you've got Mr. Wonderful Kevin and they rotate different ones. And then what do the entrepreneurs do? They start going into their pitch. Take a look at the sharks' body language and their yep expressions when people start to pitch them. It automatically turns them off. Okay, that's what you're doing when you go into a pitch. You you know, hashtag ditch the pitch, right? (laughs) Putting sales pressure on them. Here's the big one. Assuming the sale, according to the data, very low in the persuasion poll, hence the term sales is a numbers game. That's where it comes from because the way you're selling to people is causing it to be a numbers game especially if you're in a more complex sale, like more business-to-business sales that requires multiple calls and touches, right? Now, that's the first one. Second mode, era two type of sales, that's more known as consultative selling. That's where a lot of people kind of land, right? And especially the B2B sales type environment. So we're more persuasive when we attempt to have a discussion, okay? Consultative selling came out in the early 80s with a book called Spin Selling. That was one of the first books on consultative selling by Neil Rackham. He's a college professor. And it basically taught you that you needed to ask logical-based questions to find out the needs of the client. But what's the potential downfall of the approach when you're only asking logical-based questions? We call those surface-level questions. Your prospect's only going to give you surface-level answers in return. Logical answers in return. And to human beings, by logic or emotion, Right? Yeah, everybody knows that it's all emotion. I mean, brain studies prove that now at this point. 
So like if you use consultative questions like, John, what's keeping you awake at night? Or can you tell me two problems you're having the most? Or who besides you would be involved in this decision? Like early on in a conversation, your prospects are just never really going to open up to you. So instead of saying, I'll give you kind of a relanguage there, like instead of saying who besides you would be involved in the decision, because you're trying to find out who the other decision makers on the account, you simply relanguage it to something like this and write this down if everybody's listening. You might say, John, can you walk me through your, I guess, company's decision-making process when it comes to solving these type of challenges? Can you walk me through? Okay. It's just an easier way to get them to open up more. Okay. Can you walk me through your company's decision-making process when it comes to solving problems like these? And we're associating their decision-making process with what? Solving the problems they just said they had. Okay. So once again, it's it's more persuasive. Consultative is more persuasive than the first mode of like boiler room selling, putting sales pressure, telling your story, pitching people. But you're starting to play the numbers game because very little emotion is brought out by simply asking logical-based surface-level questions. Now, third mode. This is where it gets interesting. Third mode of communication, according to behavioral science, the most persuasive is dialogue. Okay, so we're the most persuasive when we allow others to persuade themselves dialogue, when we ask what we call, like you asked me, neuro-emotional persuasion questions. That stands for NEPQ. Now, how do you do that? How do you get someone to persuade themselves? That's like the $10 million question, right? Can you just show up? Hey, Mr. Prospect, I give you permission to persuade yourself. Here's our wire details. Just wire No, right? <laughs> it's not that easy. Exactly. You have to learn specific skilled questions when and how to ask those in a step-by-step structure that psychologically gets your prospects to sell themselves rather than you trying to do it. So that's the difference between the three modes of selling. With me? Yeah, absolutely. And But is it all around just being able to ask the questions or is it being able to also understand and observe them to know, I guess, how to help them as they're answering those questions? Well, your questions give you that path, right? So it's not just like you're, oh, I'm going to come up with 10 questions that are going to work, right? It's all staged. We have to learn what are called connecting questions, okay? Connecting questions take the focus off you, put it on them. We then, once we connect with them, like to disarm them where they want to open up, okay? We then want to ask what are called situation questions. Situation questions help you and your prospects find out really what their current situation actually is because most people don't even think about their current situation, right? Then we want to move into what are called problem awareness questions. Problem awareness questions basically help you and more importantly, your prospect start to view what their real problems are, okay, like we talked about, and not only what the real problems are because average salespeople can find out the problems of a prospect. Greater salespeople can find out the root cause of the problem Okay, so the root cause of the problem, the very greatest of sales, mm. greatest of companies are able to help them find out what the real problems are, the root cause, what's caused it, but more importantly, how those problems are affecting them even personally. Yeah. That's where their emotional state comes to their conscious mind. That's when they start to build massive urgency that they need to do something about solving this problem now, not down the road. We then need to learn what are called solution awareness questions that allow them to see what their future is going to look like once all of these problems are solved that they didn't even know they had before they started talking to you. And then we want to move into what are called consequence questions that allow them to question their way of thinking of what will happen if they don't do anything about solving the problem. So I might ask, oh, and this is just kind of a generic example, but 
John, what are you going to do though, if you guys don't do anything about this and X, Y, Z keeps happening for the next three, six, even 12 months from now, we repeat back their problem. That's like a generic example. I'll give you an example. Like I'm looking at it right now. I, you know, right before this podcast with you, I was working on a sales structure for a company we train and they sell lead generation services to mainly fortune 1000 companies and kind of SMB are kind of right there in the middle range. And they sell like a higher quality lead to companies and really in the industry, right? And so the consequence question we worked out with them, it would be something like this, okay? Okay, Sally, what are you guys gonna do though if you don't do anything about this and you keep getting these lower quality leads to your sales teams and your sales keep stagnating, like you mentioned, the next three, six, even 12 months from now, like what happens then? See, then they start to think like, oh, no, 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 no. Like they start to think of the consequences if they allowed this problem to keep happening even three months from now. See, that helps build urgency in their mind that they need to do something now, not later, which drastically, drastically increases your sales cycle. You know, we've taken companies that their sales cycles were nine months to a year, literally. Takes forever to get a deal done and got them down to a few months. I mean, can you imagine going from a nine-month sales cycle to a two-month sales cycle? Like what type of revenue your company would make? It's insane. So it's really building those consequence questions that allow them to see, I need to do something about this now, not later. There's really, you don't really get the, I need to think it over objections at that point because they've internalized and realized how bad the problem is. If we don't do anything, this is going to get worse. Like, what are the possible ramifications on this if your company doesn't do anything about this? What are the possible ramifications if your company doesn't do anything about solving this problem? See, so it gets into think, okay? Then with our presentations, we have to know how to structure our presentations that emotionally connect the dots, not just logically. We don't, want to, we don't necessarily need to talk about, here's our corporate office, this nice building, here's all of our awards. Like nobody cares, right? They only care about how you're going to solve their problems and get them the results they want. And then instead of asking like closing questions, like you want the red one or the blue one? When do you want to take delivery? Monday at four or Tuesday at five? Like the old option close, none of that works. We want to ask what are called commitment questions that allow them to commit internally on taking the next steps to purchase what you're offering to solve their problems and get what they want. Now, that's more of a B2C there, right there. But at B2B, you're asking commitment questions that get them to take smaller commitments to take the next step in your cycle. Maybe the next step is to have a demo. Maybe the next step is to schedule another call with the board. Maybe the next step is to go over more details on the product. But you're getting them to take smaller commitments that lead them to the ultimate commitment of purchase what you're offering. Got it? Yeah. And you know, again, like that goes back to what you were talking about earlier about making it collaborative, yeah. guiding them on a journey. And if I hear you describing these types of questions, the skilled questions, the problem awareness, solution awareness, consequence questions, I even see that as you not even being the one that's taking them on this journey. It's more of guiding them and kind of letting them lead the journey through your guidance. Well, you're like the facilitator, right? And you're taking it journey as the guide and they look at you as the person that's going to get them the ultimate result they want. And they will gladly pay way more for your services, your products and services over your competition, because they just view everybody else as just trying to sell them something. You know, like they look at everybody as just trying to stuff their solution down their throat, whereas they start to view you and your organization and your company as the trusted experts, the authorities 
who are going to get them what they want. And when they have that certainty in their mind from your questioning skills that your salespeople and marketers have, they will pay way more over somebody else who does not give them that certainty because their sales skills are so lacking. Got it? Hey, and I I always forget this because I know we don't have a ton of time to go through all these various examples of questions. If they want a list of any of those questions and like different sales situations to use them in like specific questions, they can go to that Facebook group. I know I gave you the link, salesrevolution.group. Yeah. Dot group, yeah. They can always go to salesrevolution.group. So salesrevolution.group. That's our free Facebook group. Got about 16,000 business owners and stuff in there. And right when they go in there, check your messenger on Facebook. Somebody on my team will message you a free training called the NEPQ 101 mini course. And oh, it's wow. Different little questions and different things that you can use in different sales situations that I know you're going to be in. They're going to help you sell more. And they're welcome to get all that in the Facebook group for sure, if it helps them. Yes, fantastic. And to be able to get that just as soon as you join into the group and it's free access to the group, right? Yeah, it's a Facebook where we don't charge anything. So we go live in there about three to four times a week as well with different Q&As, different specific trainings on different subjects, breaking down different industries. I mean, we train like 150 some different industries. There's some industries you train I didn't even know existed before we brought them (laughs) on as clients. Like we just brought on this one client. It's a seatbelt manufacturer in Germany, in Berlin, that sells seatbelts to like Land Rover, wow. you know, Mercedes, BMW. And I'm like, I-, I never thought about it. I guess seatbelts have to be sold. Like I-, I just never even put two and two to my head, you know? So it doesn't really matter what you sell product, service, industry. We're probably already training some of your competitors for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, you know, and again, like no matter what your business is, no matter who you are, and sometimes even no matter what your role or title is, you essentially have to be able to sell and influence others. Well, everybody is in sales now. You know, when I say like, I'll go to events and some people like, hey, like, you know, this is going to be really good for my sales people, but I'm the CEO of the company. Like, I'm not really in sales. And I'm like, oh, really? You're not in sales? (laughs) Or like, there'll be a marketing person. They're like, I'm in marketing. I'm not in sales. I'm like, okay. Well, even if you don't get paid a commission, everybody in the world, I mean, every single human being on this planet I don't care what you're doing, even if you're a three-year-old, you are out there trying to persuade, influence, convince, and move others. I call that non-sales selling. Like if you're a business owner and you're trying to get your employees to follow your vision of your company, what are you trying to do? Persuade, influence, move others. If you're an employee on the flip side, trying to convince your boss to give you a pay raise, what are you trying to do? Persuade, influence, move others. If you're an attorney, I was just watching the news the other day about some big lawsuit thing. Your attorney trying to convince a judge that your client is innocent. You're trying to persuade, influence. You know, we were just talking about politicians. If you're a politician, for hell's sake, trying to get people to vote for you, what are you doing every day? You're trying to convince, persuade, and move others. If you're a teacher trying to get your kids to do their homework, you're doing the same thing. So everybody in our day and age is in selling. It does not matter what you do. This is kind of crazy, but my minor was in like New Testament Christianity. I'm like an historical geek. Oh, wow. I know. I like, I'm a weird guy. I love, I love to read books. <laughs> but, you know, you think about like, if you read the Bible in the book of Revelations and other writings that, you know, researchers have found that are not even in the Bible, the biggest thing that they talk about is this, you know, the start of what we know our time anyways, is like this war in heaven, right? There was this war in heaven, right? And, you know, part of God's children, you know, followed him and believed in him. And the other part followed Satan, followed the devil, right? 
Well, if you, yeah. nobody really thinks about that war in heaven, like what does a war in heaven actually mean? Was it a war fought with guns? You know, they have tanks out there in that war where they're, you know, swords, like, no, of course, it was a war of persuasion. Yep. It was a war of words. It was a war of convincing and influence and moving others. So persuasion and selling has been around since the dawn of what we know anyways, of our time. It's been around before human beings were even put on this earth. So it's a skill that you have to learn if you really want to be successful in your life. Yeah, everywhere you go, like no matter what steps in your career or business, I got to think, you know, that these NEPQ questions can help or the methodology and the methodology of the questions can help you no matter your role. Yeah, it doesn't matter at all. I mean, we, we've been trained like electricians and plumbers because they have to do what? Have to go out and get more clients. Yes, you know, <laughs> so they're in sales. So, I mean, we literally train anybody that's trying to move, persuade, influence, and convince others. It does not matter what you do. Well, you know, and we're in the middle of, whether you call it the great resignation, the great reshuffling or whatever you call it, yeah. people are resigning from their jobs. But then the next step is going out and trying to get that ideal job that you want. I've got to say that job candidates that use this methodology are going to really stand out from the crowd of everybody. Yeah, the funny thing that you brought that part of our training. I mean, we're also a recruiting staffing agency as well. Oh, nice. We train salespeople. We also train salespeople and professionals how to go out and land their dream jobs. How do you interview and stand out from everybody else? Or even better, let's say you're not even in sales. Like people come to us all the time to get into our training programs because they're like, I'm not in sales, but I want to land in the right industry. I want to be able to land in a place where I can make multiple six figures a year as long as I have the right sales skills, right? And so we teach them how to interview. We teach them how to negotiate their compensation. We teach them, even if they have zero experience, how are you going to get that sales job with zero experience over 50 other people that have been selling for 20 years and you're a 24-year-old? Well, there's certain things that you can say and ask in that interview and negotiate that is going to make you stand out 10 times more than anybody else competing that job that's got 20 years experience. And oh, by the way, when you start that job, you're going to have the right sales skills. So you automatically have success. There's no like three or four months to learn it. Like you already know what to do. So right when you get that job, you are getting promoted very, very fast because you just outsell everybody else because you have the right skills from day number one. That's it. You know, so these sales lessons apply everywhere. Right, Jeremy, you've got a book coming out later this year, The New Model of Selling, Selling to an Unsellable Generation. What are people going to learn from the book? Well, they're going to learn how buying behaviors have changed. Consumer buying behaviors have changed. I wrote that book with my good friend, Jerry Acuff. He's the CEO of Delta Point. It's a very large sales consulting firm as well. I mean, he's been around 25 years with this company. Jerry's written about five other best-selling books as well, probably some of you listening here probably read his books, you know, from Barnes and Noble or Amazon or whatever. So I had him on my podcast about a year ago. And he's like, we've got to write this book together. He's like, this is going to be my last book. I'm retired. I want to go out with the bank. Let's write it together. And it's written right now, you know, it'll be published in the fall of 2022 from what I understand from the publisher. And you're just going to learn how selling has changed how your consumers that you're selling to right now have drastically changed, even since COVID. I mean, they are changing rapidly 
okay? And so you're gonna understand the dynamic of why. You know, why why did that happen? Like, it's not just like, oh, they just changed, but why did they actually happen? And one thing that Jerry and I wanted to do, because I get really annoyed when I would read sales books as a sales professional, because they were so vague. They were just like all theory, like just a bunch of repeated fluffy stuff. I always call I always called it fluff. I'm like, yeah, this really works. Because I'm in sales, I knew what worked and what didn't work. And I was like, this book has to be more tactical training. So we're going to identify the problem of why selling has changed, why buying behaviors have changed, but we're going to show you what to do to fix that. Okay, we're going to show you what questions to ask. We're going to give you examples of connecting questions and situation questions and problem awareness in different situations. So 70 to 80% of the book is actually tactical training rather than just theory. So people that buy that book and read it, they're going to sell more from that book. Wow. So it's the lessons around why, but it also sounds like an actual literal playbook as well. Yeah, it's going to give you the foundation to understand neuroemotional persuasion questioning and how to get your prospects to sell themselves and chase you down for what you're offering. You're going to learn how to get your prospects to literally thank you to send you money to solve their problems and get them where they want. And that's a great feeling rather than just like hoping and praying they buy. Your prospects are literally throwing money at you, thanking you to get them the results that they want in their life in any industry. There you go. Wow, I'm looking forward to it coming out. I can't oh, wait to too. read it. Me too. I can't wait to read it too. Of course, yeah. All right, well, Jeremy, last question for you. If you were to create a five-song soundtrack for your work, what songs would you include? Man, I'm going to give you this number one song. And I, you know, I thought about this. I'm like, man, there's so many good ones you got. You know, the Journey song, Don't Stop Believing. I'm sure everybody yeah. uses that on shows. So I'm like, I've got to get something good. You know, I love the song. I don't know what it's called. I think it's it's that song by Eminem that came out maybe about 20, not uh, 18 years ago or something. You know, that movie, Eight Mile, where he talks about you only get one shot. Yeah. Opportunity. And I just, I want everybody to think about this. You know, Steve Martin says it best. He said, become so good, become so great that they cannot ignore you. And that is my motto. You learn the right skills. You become so great, you cannot be ignored. Like, I don't care if nobody likes you. You become so great at your skill level, you will get any promotion you want. You'll be able to start your own business if you want. You'll be able to do anything you want. So you have that opportunity. Like, literally, success is just a choice. Like, it's not like there's not information out there. We live in the information age. It's there. Yeah. Sales ability, sales skills, the right ones are acquired skills. You know, it's just like Michael Jordan says in his, his biography. He's like, you can shoot a thousand jump shots a day, but if your technique is off, it's wrong. If you're not taught the right technique, you're still going to suck at basketball, right? I see so many salespeople that like, you know, oh, I'm reading all these books, but they still suck. Well, you're learning the wrong techniques. You're, you're learning techniques that work against human behavior, doesn't matter if you work 12 hours a day, you're still not going to be that great. So you want to learn the right techniques. Success is a choice. Go out and find those techniques. And you've got that opportunity. Like Eminem talks about, you've got the opportunity. Take advantage of it and become so great that you can't be ignored. Yeah, love that. Yeah, and uh, lose yourself. Lose yourself. Lose yourself, yeah. right? Lose yourself in your work. Lose yeah. yourself in learning those skills. And I guarantee you, you will be so successful You'll be able to write your own ticket, go anywhere in the world you want to go. Man, there you go. Now I'm pumped up. I'm excited. <laughs> I'm inspired. But first, Everybody's, I'm probably going to go see if I can go yeah. get a plate of mom's spaghetti. Everybody's singing that song in their mind now. So that was the song yeah. that really came in my mind. I was like, you, you know, there you go. 
lose yourself. Yeah, it's lose yourself. I think that's the song. Yep. That's that's it. Yeah. No, that's a great one. Yeah, love it. All right. Well, I know you mentioned this earlier, but I just want to make sure that we don't miss this. The best place for people to go and learn more from you. Yeah. Is your yeah, sales they, revolution Facebook group. Yeah. Salesrevolution.group, right? Yeah. Like I said, if you're a business owner, you're looking at, hey, how do I train my salespeople to, you know, skills that work with human behavior? How do I, how do I go from what's gotten us here to get up here? You know, new advanced skills, right? So if you're a business owner looking to train your salespeople, you're a sales professional wanting to sell more, you're a marketer wanting to sell more as well with what you do. Best place to find any information on anything we do salesrevolution.group, right when they join the group, somebody on my team will message them. So make sure you check your Facebook messenger and they'll message you over a free training called the NEPQ 101 mini course, just a, a different questions that we're going to give to you for free that you can use in any different sales situation you're in that's going to help you sell more. And if you want to learn further more details about our training programs, you know what we do with companies, just message me in that group or message somebody in the group and somebody will reach out to you to see if we can help. Awesome. Yeah. And I'll, I'll have a link to that in the show notes as well. Well, Jeremy, I have learned a lot and I absolutely appreciate you being here. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure, Matt. I enjoy your show. I appreciate it. Keep on trucking. Hey, I hope you enjoyed my discussion with Jeremy Miner. So go and visit him and learn more at salesrevolution.group. You're going to immediately get access to lots of free resources you can use to start selling more of your products and services. And be sure and check out his podcast, Closers Are Losers. It's going to help you learn how to level up your skills to better influence and sell to anyone. And hey, speaking of podcasts, if you're enjoying this one, if you're enjoying the Simple Brand Podcast, go ahead and hit the subscribe button. It's going to make it so much simpler for you to get future episodes like the next one featuring Annette Franz. Annette's the founder and CEO of CX Journey, Inc. It's a customer experience strategy consulting firm that helps clients ensure that the customer is at the center of all they do. And as a seasoned customer experience veteran with over 30 years of experience, Annette's held CX leadership roles at some of the top brands, including J.D. Power, Fidelity, and Mattel. She's a highly sought-after keynote speaker, and she's a member of the Forbes Coaches Council. And she's the author of Customer Understanding, Three Ways to Put the Customer in Customer Experience and at the Heart of Your Business. And... Her latest book just released this week, Built to Win, Designing a Customer-Centric Culture that Drives Value for Your Business. Listen, there are a lot of experts that talk about the value of customer-centric experiences, but there aren't enough lessons out there on how to build a customer-centric culture in your organization and how to ensure that the customer is fully ingrained into your organization's DNA into every functional area, not just those that are customer-facing. And that's just what Annette focuses on in Built to Win. And Annette and I take a deep-dive discussion into those lessons. So go ahead and subscribe. You'll automatically get Annette's episode as soon as it's live. Until then, keep it simple. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Simple Brand Podcast. Want to make your listening experience simple and automatically receive each new episode? Visit our website, simplebrandpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. 
If you're finding value from the Simple Brand Podcast, leave us a rating or review. That helps us get the show to the ears of the people who need it most. Be sure to catch Matt right here next week. Same Matt time, same Matt channel. Until then, keep it simple.